0: Let's get this show started.
1: Welcome back to the Centurion Leadership Battalion podcast. This is Elena back with Justin and so excited to jump in for another question today. This is actually a question that I came up with. So I'm very excited to hear Justin's response, uh, hear some of his insight into this and ultimately to hear back from our listeners. So after you guys listen to this episode, send us a DM on Instagram at Centurion leadership battalion, or send us over a message on Facebook. You can also sign up for our email list, which will be in the description of this video where you can receive exclusive podcast updates and other information. So we're so excited to have you and hi, Justin before I introduce the question.
0: Thank you, Elena. Is this our first episode since I've been back from Mexico?
1: I believe this is your first episode. You're recording back from Mexico, yes.
0: Yeah, okay. But anyway, go on. We'll talk about that a little bit. But anyway, I'm like, this is my first one. I can't, I'm like still delirious, I think, so.
1: Well, that's okay, because we are still gonna have a great conversation. So I'm excited to hear what you have to share about this question. The question for today is going to be how to lead yourself in the midst of opposition. And another way I would phrase this question is how to lead yourself in the midst of haters, which sounds a little less professional, but it is relevant to our world and society today. So that's the question.
0: And and repeat it one more time, Elena, for the audience, because I think this is a really important question as you grow as a leader or as a person or in social media, whatever avenues that you use. To grow yourself, but that's the question again because I really want everyone to hear it.
1: Yeah. How to lead yourself in the midst of opposition or in the midst of haters.
0: So um well, I guess my first question is this is Alina's question, guys. So um I'm gonna answer it roughly and then I'm gonna ask why. Um you asked the question, but I'm gonna gonna ask, I'm gonna say it first. Um, We have this, I'm gonna be very general, so excuse me. We have this weird thing, I think naturally, that happens as humans, historically, at least that I've witnessed. I don't know if it's been in previous generations, I have no idea, but it's really about, we really care what our friends think, we really care about what our family thinks, And then we don't care what anyone thinks we care about growing ourselves. And we often get to that last stage when we're like 60 years old, where we did a great job raising our family. We've done a great job educating yourself. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, I need to invest in myself. What do I like? You know, so um, that's the safe path. That's the one where everyone's like, oh, they should go find themselves. They're 65, they worked hard, you know, no judgment there. Okay. That's the safe path. I just want to establish that for whatever reason We condone that and we love it. And we think retirement funds and social security, I mean, even our government in the United States conditions us that way. It conditions us always for one day when I can retire. Okay. So that's, that's, I want to establish that. So that's the norm. That's the average. That's what people just do. That's not, that's leaving mediocre. Okay, It's not even average. Average is attempting to try. That's mediocre. It's just doing whatever. And so when we step out of that, when we step out of the mainstream or the normal cycle or main street or what the Joneses are doing, um, for lack of a better term, the, the problem is as humans, we innately start pushing those people away because we have this survival mentality and survival of the pack and if the person doesn't care about the pack then they don't care about me and if they're off doing something that not everyone's doing it must be bad because innately we don't understand why that person would do something that we view as unsafe for the pack and usually unsafe for the pack means going against the mainstream, right? I mean, I think I grew up in the 80s and 90s, rap music, it was the devil and i um, in politics and everything. And, you know, I got to say, like a lot of my iconic entrepreneurs, like we see rappers as these superstars, but they built these scrubs of businesses and record deals in New York City in some cases, like, like I got to see, that wasn't anything glorifying. And you see how long food service partners is in business, I mean, could we buy desks, nice desks for Georgia and all the way? Yeah. But it it part of it is we haven't deserved it yet. So we don't get new things. We don't get the nice stuff until we build up Georgia since it's only two years old to be a super powerhouse profitable company. So, you know, could I get average? Could I do whatever? Um, sure, I could. I could make everyone happy. And I could just give everyone this, this stuff at the office before anyone ever earned it. And everyone's going to be like, oh, Justin, you should give everyone the tools they need to do their job. Okay, I'll agree. They need a new desk to do their job or they need a folding table. Okay, they can earn the desk. Like, right, we're building a business. Why is it that the entrepreneur should only suffer or the investors only suffer or the vendors who don't get paid because we decide to buy a desk? Right. Like those are, and haters come in all those forms. Haters come in the form of, I'm trying to lead forward and grow and I'm outgrowing. Haters come in the form of friends, always friends. Listen, there's no doubt that most of the people that are going to hold you down are going to be your friends. They're going to be your family and they're going to be your relationships, your intimate ones. The people that you love sometimes more than anyone in the world. Trust me, from my own experience, are sometimes your biggest opposition, your biggest haters, you know, and you have a pretty tough choice to make in that scenario. I made one. I chose, you know, I, people, perception of probably me is probably horrendous. I admit it, but I chose not to be in my marriage because I outgrew it. I wanted more for myself. I wanted more for my businesses. My dreams were bigger. I saw money differently. I saw, religion differently, you name it. There were a thousand things that in the end that that I did something wrong. So to continue on my life for another 50 years in that scenario or raise kids in that environment, it wasn't a good scenario. So and after what happened to me when I was a kid, I wouldn't want to put any kid through a bad situation. I had great parents. I grew up in a good home. It wasn't bad. But there are evil men and there are evil women in the world and they take advantage of people. So, you know, that's what you have to decide. And for me, sometimes people aren't bad or good or evil. It's just, I need to grow and it's about me. It is. And it's about the legacy that I want to build and I don't want to waste my life. So I need to find a partner or friends that meet those things. So I got to tell you, it's a weird thing. Like the hater button now to me is an alarm. Like it's all right, I've outgrown this relationship. It doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship wasn't awesome beforehand, that it was great, it should be celebrated and I learned from it. But when you start hating at me, when we're growing like an alarms going off, maybe it's not a permanent thing. So I'm not saying I just cut the cord, but it's something to be aware of as you're leading or an entrepreneur in particular, or a growth minded person, or someone who's trying to grow your family it's unrealistic to think that we have childhood friends if you're in a growth mentality, unless you somehow have a childhood friend or a girlfriend or whatever that grows with you. Like, it's very hard for that to happen. Um, and like, like I said, I'll go back to the divorce. Yes, it was hard. It split a lot of friendships, all of that. But it also, you saw in it how many people stuck around and grew with me, how many people still are in those group of friends or my college group of friends that haven't outgrown those friendship circles. So unintentionally, I went to outgrow a relationship and move on with my life and business. And, and I've obviously have that with Deborah, you know, um, and I have two great stepkids, you know, don't have kids on my own, but I invested in them. Okay, that doesn't mean I never won kids of my own. It just means I made a different choice because for me, it was about growth. It's about growing other people. It's about growing the business and it's about making an impact in the world because I'm a privileged kid. I admit it. Like I was lucky enough to be born into a situation where I had entrepreneurial parents. I had hardworking parents. I went to good schools. I was good at a sport and um, I was fortunate. So all of those things... Um, you know, made me who I am. So was I privileged and born in a situation? Yeah. <clears throat> it was great. Did I also have really bad things happen to me during when I was a kid from like two to five or three to five? Yeah. <clears throat> Which also made me who I am. So here's the thing that interestingly is <clears throat> The thing we're afraid of from haters in my experience is the things we're unwilling to admit to the world that we think are bad about us or fragile sometimes or an insecurity. And maybe there's some truth in it because we echo it in ourselves or it's a voice our mother put there, or our father or our sports coach that echoes inside of us. But it's really our own responsibility to figure out what that self worth is and to get rid of self-loathing because all haters do is they touch on some part of us that we loathe or hate or, or someone else told us about ourselves. And it's a really good lesson in getting above it. Can I actually extract anything out of it that's true? Okay. What part of me is it touching that it's hurting me? You know, because I can't control a person. I don't know whether that person's right, wrong, or indifferent. Like in this day and age, I got to tell you, it doesn't really matter. And actually, since I've been a kid from a kid, I've understood that I've had no control over people, whether they hurt me, whether they take advantage of me. I don't care how nice I am or how good of a human I am. There's other people's intent and character and you can't control that. And we forget that free will doesn't only mean my own free will if you're a Christian, but it means someone else's free will to do what the fuck they want. And that means they can hurt you. That means they can take advantage of. That means sometimes friendships can turn bad can turn evil, can turn abusive, it's okay, just grow and get the fuck out. And so that's the hard part. Um, so the minor haters that we all take so very personally because of social media and stuff, I think um, really it's growth and you listen and sometimes the opportunities weirdly come out of those things. You know, if it wasn't for haters, um, we probably wouldn't be in, I wouldn't have gone so far into grass fed grass finished. If I hadn't had so many um, vegans attack us sometimes or me personally for the meat thing and really folk having me focused and learn on what life meant for a plant, for a tree, for the ground and the worms and the mice and the snakes when we till up plant-based proteins, or what really happens when we cycle animals. So sometimes the haters, there's something you should listen to, and there's growth in it. And if I didn't listen to them early on in my career, like a lot of it, the non-GMO stuff, the, the lot of like stuff coming at us, particularly in California, um, Getting to the farms and organic, and a lot of the hate that was at me, I didn't know what to do with it. I became very—I was already introverted—and I didn't speak about it outwardly. I just took it in inwardly and decided we would move our businesses that way. And I talked to Bob and Angelo and the other people that I work with um, corporately um, or worked for us. But ultimately, it was those haters. You know, I could have had more courage and talk and do what I do now on a podcast, but it took time to get confidence as an entrepreneur for sure. And as a speaker, but I took it in internally, and those haters became the way I pivoted our business. Still to this day, if you knew how many people come into Georgia, still foaming at the mouth, pissed off at me because we're not doing something fast enough or COVID's happening or logistics problems or whatever. And like, here's the thing. Like they're not, all of them aren't going to be my clients. I, I try to do whatever I can to have a relationship with someone, but there's some people that are just unreasonable and their expectations are too high and they take too much away from the other clients. So those are all things like haters come in a lot of forms. Like I said, you're going to have them in vendors. You're going to have employees. You're going to have them in clients. You're going to have them in friends. You're going to have them in relationships. Um, you're gonna have it in best friends uh, sometimes, add those too. So um, let's pause there and give some room. Elaine, I threw a lot at you right there and a lot at the question. So do you wanna sort of talk about where the idea came from for the question and sort of we can talk about what it's like for you or anything that you've experienced or maybe I can broaden
1: the question. Yeah, I think there's a lot to break down from what you were sharing. And honestly, I don't know exactly where the question came from. It just kind of came to me. Um, I think it was last week that I came up with it. Um, But I think I was just, you know, thinking when you're doing, you know, things differently, we've talked about this before on several other episodes where you're doing things differently than, you know, the status quo, and you're kind of making waves where other people are not, and you start kind of getting this backlash and you start kind of getting this judgment from other people. And I think I'm seeing a lot of people lately, whether it's within the company or within the Centurion Leadership Battalion, such as with our interns, you know, starting podcasts, doing things differently. Um, just on social media personally, or hearing from friends who want to start businesses or whatnot. I think it's just really interesting to hear, you know, the backlash that these people face. And I know we've shared about this before and I've definitely been there and I still face that, you know, I guess it's different too now because I went through that shift in college where I started doing my fitness business. And so my social media was kind of all about that and my life and schedule was kind of all about that. And that was really hard to accept, I guess, for the people that were in my immediate circle. And like you were sharing, sometimes haters aren't necessarily, you know, they could be people in your close circle, but just because someone is a hater, doesn't mean they're sitting there, you know, telling you you're going to fail, telling you horrible stuff. Sometimes a hater could just be someone who doesn't believe in what you're doing or thinks you're weird for doing it. Right. So, I kind of faced that already in college and then I graduated college and then I moved. So once I moved, I'm meeting all these new people. And what do you do when you meet new people in 2021, 2022? Oh, follow me on Instagram. Oh, blah, blah, blah. So most of these people that, you know, you're following, not everyone, because you do meet other entrepreneurs and things like that. But if you're meeting someone at a restaurant for the first time or at a barbecue and you mutual friends. You're following them on Instagram, and they just have, you know, what we would deem as normal posts or normal, a normal page, right? And then my Instagram is like all of my sponsored posts, and my blog, and my podcasts, and my this, and my that, and my workouts. And, you know, it's so different than what's normal. So you kind of feel like naked in front of the crowd sometimes when you're meeting new people. especially in large groups, because you know, that what you're doing is different than other people. And I think it's so awesome to live in this generation right now where people are starting to, you know, be shameless in what they want to do and in their passions and really chase down their callings and, you know, doing podcasts, whether it's this podcast or, You know, if you have a blog, whatever someone does that really takes the mask off and kind of puts them in a vulnerable position, I feel like is a really big sign of strength. And I love seeing more and more people do that. Um, and just being able to lead by example and show other people that, you know, I, I don't care what it looks like. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I want to do. You know, there's going to be doubters, no matter who it, who it is, whether it's your family or your friends or your in-laws, whatever it might be. There's always going to be people that are going to doubt you, but the, the thought for this question kind of came from just thinking about, you know, the amount of people that I've met and spoken with, um, just in the past month or a few weeks or a month where I'm really seeing so many more people kind of bloom into this, you know, new way of thinking, new way of living and positioning themselves. Um, and just, so you have to learn how to lead yourself through that because And that's a leadership quality in itself because you can't, you know, falter at the first criticism or, you know, negative review or whatever you, you can't do that. Otherwise you'll never succeed. You have to, you know, keep going and working through those things, but you really have to learn how to lead yourself in the way I worded. It was in the midst of haters or opposition, because you're going to face that, right. You're going to face that when you're doing something that's not normal for you or to others you're going to, when you're starting something new, you're always going to face, you know, that resistance. And I think you have to learn how to bring yourself through that and really wrestle well through that, um, in order to be successful. So that's kind of where the question came from. I hope that all made sense. Kind of commented that out.
0: Absolutely. No, I think you're spot on Elaine. And I think, um, really what's interesting are people are afraid of what they can't do themselves. And I agree with you on the um, Instagram and social media thing. And I'm going to pause there. Just, I'm going to give a backstory and then we'll go forward. You know, it was three years ago I met Elena as a senior at Georgia college. And I think then if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure you had about 3,800 followers and um, i have pretty good memory guys. Dates and numbers are my thing like train my brain to remember dates so I can remember history all day long. So it works for me in business, but somewhere around there, I believe you're over 10,500 now. Okay. So that's in three years of working hard um, of trying to do an influence of wearing your heart on your sleeve and, and exposing yourself to the world that that's where it gets you. And it'll continue to grow. I believe as Elena gets more comfortable, but I'm going to pause there. So that's a, appreciation and then there's also like a trevor for example that we also work with who was very introverted who was a guy playing around the camera with a great skill and doing something and now he just went i believe he's almost to 10,000 followers right now in a less than a year he's our photographer and videographer he works on the marketing team with elena but It's one of those things where he developed a skill set that he became really good at. He's really different in everyone. He stuck true to himself. And now that he exposed it to the world, there were a lot of haters. I mean, I remember the first couple months, probably like, photographer, what are you doing? You think you're going to do athletes? Like, Because there's a lot out there. But he had already gained the skill and the confidence to go out there and do it and expose it. But even that, there were a lot of people. People, I remember those first few months and he was able to plow through it because he's gotten such traction with a skill, but it doesn't mean it's not going to come later. So I would say this. Um, I don't know how you make a living anymore without building a personal brand for yourself and for your business so much so that like I used to try to tiptoe around it and uh, I would build the other brands instead of my own brand and then we'd sell off those brands or whatever. So got really good at it. But along the way, I never built my own brand. So while I was building value for the company in one way, I wasn't building long-term value myself, which was also a value for the company as the owner of the company. So I just don't know how you don't do it. And based on my own mistakes and how fast I've had to learn over the last year and work with Trevor on photos and the marketing team to try to build centurion battalion and figure out what to do with Justin a few entrepreneurs, since that's got such traction, and fans and subscribers I'd never thought it would be as big as it is and so it's like now what do we do with everyone now what we do with all you guys because you want more and you want more access and like this is the thing if you didn't start building the blocks early on and you don't do it you end up where I am at 42 years old now with this traction and you're having to build it really rapidly as you go and I'm having to do posts and I'm having to get stuff with Trevor and build Primal Rock and So I've got lots of things going on, but it could have been easier if I did what Elena did or Trevor did and just bit off the bullet in social media earlier on. Now, mind you, I was 25, maybe 23, somewhere around there when Facebook came out, I guess it was 2003. So I was like 23 and like Instagram was 2011. So I was 31 ish, somewhere around there when it came out. So I was late to the game. Um, probably on both by the time I, I accept them, but you don't have to be. And if I was any less in life, it's like plow through the haters. You know, it's like, everyone's like, Oh, an Instagram only post one line. Yeah. Okay. Like there's no real rhyme or reason. You can't fake the algorithm. You should put hashtags. You're going to get haters based on the hashtags. It's just the way it is. And, but you got to have a message or a picture or something that's more valuable if you want people to be loyal long-term. Because if you're doing it and you're not gaining value to someone long-term, um, like you don't have a long-term business model. And for lack of a better term, in some ways, the haters might be right in that, are you really thinking about how you're going to turn this into a business for yourself and a brand for yourself and your family potentially um, and your legacy? Um, long-term or are you just doing it for a spotlight for now you know or money right now what's the long-term gain how do you build long-term business I think that's a big deal so is all the hate unwarranted sometimes no I mean was I arrogant when I was younger of course like I was doing well I was arrogant life had to teach me some humbling lessons so but um, haters were a part of it, but in the end, um, I wouldn't call haters a necessary tool. I would describe it as if you have people that can have respectful conversations and disagree with you, that's not a hater. Like if you ever, I can't remember the book, I'm going to have to look it up, but we, I should put it on this centurion list. It's an Abraham Lincoln book about his cabinet. Um, like, circle of disagreeing men or something i can't remember what it was but they all were people that were against his way of thinking but they all were respectful enough with one another intellectually to debate conversations so abraham lincoln did shift his mindset a little bit to handle the war and handle politics and like god uh, guys the fact of the matter is probably rated the worst president during his time or something like that i can't remember the exact statistic but we look back as the greatest one ever but it's time like who would think you're the greatest president ever when the country split in that civil war, right? If that went on today, we'd be like, oh my God, that president caused the civil war, right, at the time. So that's just gives you guys, just because people are hating during the time doesn't mean they hate through history. It's up to you whether you make it something worth remembering, right, so. And think, so
1: that's interesting that you said just because someone disagrees with you doesn't make them a hater. I think that's important too. Um, because sometimes we think, you know, just because someone doesn't share our same mindset or point of view that they're a hater. But that that isn't true. Sometimes people just have well, actually always people have different upbringings, backgrounds, histories, experiences, traumas, and that makes everyone's opinion on things differently or different. So if someone, you know you do a post, let's say like you were sharing and you do a hashtag, let's just give a very generic, um, argument. Let's say you do a post and you love the keto diet, right? And you do like hashtag keto, blah, blah, blah. You're probably going to get a bunch of people, dietitians and nutritionists and different people that are so against that, that are coming on spewing their facts and disagreeing with you that doesn't necessarily make them, you know, a hater of you or your account or your post. They're just someone with a different mindset and different experiences and viewpoints than you. And I think that's important to distinguish because sometimes in our generation and society we use that word hater, you know, so freely. I think we use a lot of words a little too freely. Like I think you go on Instagram reels or TikTok or whatever it might be. And you see people that really think they have a psychology degree that have never studied psychology a day in their life, you know, spewing out words like narcissistic and, you know, PTSD, all these things that really take years and years and degrees to study and understand. And, you know, people using them, just these terms freely. Um, So I think we we do tend to overgeneralize, you know, what haters really means, what opposition really means. And I think a lot of that has to do with our own egos. So it's okay to have people who disagree with you. It's different than having people who criticize you and try to demean you and break you down from chasing after what's important to you. I just wanted to kind of draw that line.
0: One, it's important. You said it exactly. Like there's a difference between I, we disagree on a view and now you're trying to tear me apart, tear apart my business, tear apart the people that work here who have nothing to do with my opinion, right? The workers that work here, like, so it's the haters are the ones that make it personal and make it about tearing the other person down because they disagree with them. That would be a hater. It's if you're going to tear down, like so I'm I use the vegans and probably they're all going to get upset again, but there's a difference. Like I can have very intellectual conversations with vegans all the time, even on my social media posts. I think you guys can go back and look at one that I have with the, uh, the cows. I'm in the field with our grass fed cows, grass finished cows. And I posted about whatever, something about it. And I, there's a vegan guy and he was, we had a very, respectful interchange and disagreement. He didn't try to tear me down. He didn't try to tear down the business because in all honesty, we agree that the problem is the same. Like we have a population problem. We possibly have too many cows. We possibly are killing too many. There's too much death you know, we agree on all the basics. There's too many humans growing. We we're running going to run out of food. We need more diversity. We're killing our environment. We agree on all the problems. That's the thing. Like, okay, we agree on these. Yes. I, and I even agree with vegans and it is one of the ways to fix the problem. And are there too many cows? Sure. I agree in the fact that it doesn't mean we need, need less meat. It just means we need more diverse animals. Okay, so maybe instead of a billion cows, we only need 500 million cows and we need 500 million buffalo. Bad example, because I think it should be more diverse than that, but I am using as an example. So that is, that is where we are. So I think that that's, you know, how do we have a, a greater conversation? And I think vegans believe that we need to save the planet and the animals on and care about the souls And so, again, we agree about a lot of things. It's finding that agreement and where to build on. And, you know, you're, even though it may look different and their goals are different, they're going all vegetables or the the earth and the plants and legumes. And I'm trying to figure out a more way of nature's already given us the solution. We need just to live within it, within our modern consumerism. We're all trying to get to the same place. So to fight each other when we're all trying to get to the moon, for example, seems silly. We should be able to work together, at least on the vegan part of it or the vegetable part of it, on having less death when we plow the ground at more reusable water. Okay, fine. Maybe I, I agree. Maybe we need to do more veganism. Let's argue that. How do we transition where we're getting more support in indoor farming and less? So there is a problem there. And in solving them, maybe they end up being right. But if they're not right, by chance, we're also still doing the meat side in the nature. So we can go both directions, pursue both dreams without harming one another. Haters try to harm. Okay, if you're not haters, you find commonality amongst your differences and try to still achieve your goals and have an open mind to do it. I have a very open mind about plant-based protein. Like, I don't believe it's the solution, but we are in support of doing it. We are alongside doing it because really what I believe is it is part of the solution and the advancements we make in vegetables and fruits and trying to get it more safe for the planet, make it less death in plowing the ground, um, less pesticides. It works for nature and for both causes regardless. So like, that's where I'm like, listen to the haters Listen, don't get so angry. Don't become a hater yourself. Like really be an intellect and, and and find a moral high ground. And I don't mean I'm better than you or God says. I'm talking about in the reality of humans, like not leveraging God, not leveraging something, being realistic about food, being realistic about your beliefs. And I get it religion and culture plays a part of it. But I'm what I'm saying is leveraging what you know is facts with one another. And the things that we believe in that I'll call myths, all the religions and all that, I'm not saying they are myths, but we all view things differently, religion, cultural exchange, totem poles. Um, we classify it as religion, I guess, but it doesn't matter. What matters is how do we feed everyone? And if we have Hindus, for example, that don't eat cows, okay, we, they found another other way to eat something They found alternative sources. Maybe we also expand their source of protein as well as the world's by figuring out a different way by being respectful. They've figured it out by not eating the cow. I'm not saying we shouldn't eat cows. Just saying that I can listen to the difference to try to say, hey, okay, how do we look at this differently? Right? Just mathematically, there's more more Indians than than probably most populations. So they have to feed their population way more than we do in the United States. So, you know, they're looking at ways they're trying to be innovative. Can we share in that way is a partnership between a vegan and a rotational farming person enough commonality to go help India and save you from starving? You know, do we have enough common ground to do that and see past our differences to help humans? You know, that's a greater question. So I really dove into the weeds and I'm sorry um, because we're talking about small scale. But to your point, Elena, the biggest haters I've always had are the people that are closest to me, especially when I've started to um, do better in life or they perceive as better. You know, everyone always perceives you're doing better. Social media is a funny thing. Everyone always thinks it's always the outside looking in, but it is what it is.
1: So, yeah, I definitely any- think, you know, the people closest to you can definitely be the biggest opposition you have. And I think sometimes that's because, like we shared before, people are accustomed to, you know, the you you've always been, and it's safe and comfortable for them to deal with you in, in that. In that sense. And so when you start to change or do something differently, it does make them uncomfortable, you know. So I think that that plays a big role in why you kind of see that happening with people closer to you.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Elaine. I think we're probably gonna have to do a part two on this because as I've really thought about it, I I and I don't want to get into a one podcast, but you and I should probably talk about doing a part two, maybe next week. Um, They just won't release back to back.
1: Yeah, that'd Uh, be awesome. That was a great conversation.
0: Because I'd like to break this out a little bit just for the audience. So everyone knows it's coming because I'd like to break it out. What does it look like at work? What does it look like as an entrepreneur? What does it look like on social media? You know, and that. Uh, we'll group those together what does it look like an influencer because we'll just throw leadership in there because I feel like if you're influencing people you should be leading positively Definitely. so um we'll just break it down and you and I can talk a little bit more about how we'll make a sub series but this will just be the intro then and we'll figure out how to do it so I appreciate everyone listening and I love this topic in question Elena um I like it Elena has questions they're fun so
1: thank yeah. you Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening in. Talk to you next time.